0: Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is time for Catalog and Cocktails presented by Data.World. It's your honest, no BS, non salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy at Data.World, joined by co host Juan Cicada. Hey,
1: Tim. I'm Juan Siketa, principal scientist, uh, head of the AI lab at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure. It is Wednesday, middle of the week towards the end of the day and uh, really late in the day where our guest is uh, t- today. I- I'm super excited to finally have the pleasure to have Andrew Jones, who's principal engineer and known as the inventor of data contracts. We've seen his name and the data <laughs> contracts over and over all over the place. Finally had a chance to meet him in person at Big Data London and I'm super happy you were here on, on the podcast. Andrew, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, excited nice to be here
1: awesome so let's kick it off what are are we drinking and what are we toasting for today
2: so i have a um, a belgian style beer called a saison uh it's brewed about five miles away by a belgian who moved to uk so brewery um what i like about it is so it's quite a small brewery and i brew my own beer or do when i have some time um i went on with brewery tour there and it feels so cheap but it feels like this could be my next career (laughs) Like i could it's just what i do but bigger um. So yeah, one day when I'm tired of day to day contracts, Boone is my my next career. I think. <laughs>
1: nice. Actually, you know, you're not the first person. Like one of my best friends, uh, Daniel. He moved to Uruguay. He 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 works in. in he's a software engineer or stuff. And he's like, I I I just want to go do beer stuff. And he just was traveling around and thought that was a great country. And he literally just moved there. And he's just gonna do beer stuff. Make some work in Uruguay, like for yeah. a while. That. That, yeah. So. A lot of people, you're not the only one thinking about that stuff. So yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. Hey, Tim, uh,
1: how about you? Uh,
0: I'm keeping it simple today. I'm actually in the Data World office today, so I had to raid the uh, the alcohol cart that uh, we definitely don't have in our office, uh, but uh, here's a little Johnny Walker Red to, to accompany me today. <laughs>
1: That's, uh, we need to improve that cart because Johnny Walker Red is kind of like, <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> the cart that doesn't exist, I definitely want more of a full bar so we can actually create like full cocktails and stuff like that. So, well, something I, we got to do what about I, you, Juan? I think you've got a special cocktail. Right? i got one.
1: Yes, finally making a real good cocktail this time. Uh, I was with uh, some friends this weekend. Uh, my buddy who's an archaeologist and he came up with this thing called the speeding bullet. Uh, it's two thirds uh, bourbon, one third Aperol with some bitters. So, it's like some type of an old fashioned but uh, no, no, no syrup in this One, this is fantastic, I can tell you. What, what what are
2: we cheering us for? What are we toasting for, Andrew? So I thought we'll toast um to everyone who helps share and promote ideas. It sounds a bit like I'm sucking up, but I'm not. But like um things like podcasts, things like medium Post, substack, LinkedIn. Like we're quite lucky at the moment. We're so lucky at the moment. Like anyone around the world can help contribute to these ideas, comment on LinkedIn, comment on other social networks, whatever. And I like, help really evolve his ideas and really move quite quickly. Um and yeah, podcast, hub as well. So yeah, toast to everyone who helps share their ideas, to help promote ideas, to help get involved and try and move things forward. I sure. love
1: that. That's an awesome thing to toast. So <laughs> oh, thanks to everybody who's contributing. Yeah, to
0: we have a so great much. data community, and everybody helps each yeah. other out. So I, I really appreciate it.
2: Not to appreciate awesome. it sometimes.
1: All right, so we got our funny warm up question here, uh, courtesy of uh, Chat GPT, which is. uh, so, does your spouse understand what a data contract is, or do they think you're secretly a lawyer?
2: <laughs> uh, so no, my wife does not know what data contract is, and she has not read my book. <laughs> she offered to help proofread it, but I didn't want to put her through that. <laughs> um, so yeah, she has—I don't think she knows. I think she probably does think it's some sort of lawyer thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I first started kept calling it data contracts, internally. I was always told my manager, like, choose a better name. Like, it sounds like something you got to sign in blood. It sounds too legal. I was like, yeah, I'll come up with a better name later. Let's just go with it for now. Uh, four years later, we're still calling it, and now everyone's calling it. So, yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. But no, my wife does not know <laughs> what I do. No, <laughs> <That's laughs> so I, uh, I think if you're yeah, using the
1: word contract, people think, like, okay, is, what are you, you work in data? You work at your lawyer? Like, there's some, like, data lawyer things or whatever, so...
0: Yeah, it can so be confusing. Bad. Yeah, we, we we like to borrow terms in the data industry from like other things. You know, like my wife does weaving, and I was trying to tell her about data mesh the other day, and she was like trying to <laughs> apply weaving analogies and things like that. And I was like, Nah, well, maybe, you know. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's
1: a warehouse too, right? Like, is like mm-hmm. I think it's all these terms are up and shared. But all right, let's kick it off. There's so much to go through. All right, honest, no BS. What is a data contract?
2: So a data contract is it's an agreement between those who generate data and those who consume data. Um, and you have an agreement that sets expectations about you know, what, what to expect from data. So it's got a schema, it's, it might have SLOs, it might have, should have the owner, things like that. So and that's all it is really. But you can then use that agreement to do quite a lot of things. You can build an interface from it. You can assign responsibilities from it, which helps you kind of shift things left as well. You can do quite a lot when you have some agreements, communication, and then an interface, and then you can apply governance to it, you can apply automation to it. That's how much you can do to it once you start just documenting it and using it in the right way.
1: So you start, one. the title of this episode, and we hear a lot about shifting responsibility to the left. So what does that actually mean? And, and, and then if you shift to the left, is there like, like there's like the ultimate you you get to the beginning of things or you can mm-hmm. continue always shifting left. So what does that actually mean? And what is a spectrum of left?
2: Yeah, so shifting left was the whole point of me. It's the reason why I can't data contracts. Like, the problem I try and solve was uh, problem many of us in data have. It's like, we rely on this upstream data. We're often getting it from sort of ELT processes or change data capture process at CDC. We're sucking data out databases. And the upstream people, upstream engineers, they change the databases, and everything breaks downstream. The and then we have to go around and fix it. Um, I say fix it, normally work around it, by put in more case items in ETL, and things like that. And I was in meetings with like people consuming data like weekly, and I kept hearing about the same old problem again and again and again. And I just thought, well, there must be a better way to do this. This can't be. This can't be it. This can't be right. Um, and I was thinking, well. The only people who can control how that data changes are people who generate data. So they need to take responsibility for that. But we can't just tell them you're responsible for all this data and you can't change the database. So we need to have some way of enabling them to provide good quality data, so provide an interface, like they do with APIs. Um, and you kind of can't snowball from there, really. Because my, my background, like, the, last, the first half of my career was more software engineering, second half more in sort of sort data engineering and data platforms. And as a software engineer, we would never expect to be able to build a science database and expect it to go well, because we never will. We'd always have some sort of interface there. And I just felt we didn't have an interface with data. Um, and that was maybe the root cause of the problem. Let's allow them to provide the interface. Let's let them own the interface. And let us build on top of that, and we can build a lot confidence. Um, so that's really where I came from. So when I talk about shifting left, I'm talking about shifting left all the way up to those who generate data. Um, only they can really generate better quality data. It's fair data.
0: Mm. Why, why the term data contract? Like, why Why does that resonate? And why is that really applicable here? Yes,
2: yeah, so I came from, again, from APIs. Like, often when you have an API, you talk about a, a contract between the provider and consumer. Um, and that's where it came from. I thought, well, I want the same sort of thing for data. Call it a data contract. It sounded nice having a data API, um, uh, but that's kind of where the term come from. Like, it's about it's something that you can depend upon, so you can build upon with confidence, I think about expectations again. Um, so yeah, maybe not the best word in terms of how strong it is, but I think um, we're kind of stuck with it now. It seems to resonate really well with a lot of people in data, um, so we're kind of stuck with it now. Um, yeah, for better or worse, really.
0: Yeah, well, it seems to have resonated a lot. I know that a mm-hmm. lot of folks are talking about data contracts, and it's it's unique enough, it's memorable enough. It seems to to hit, hit kind of that that important sweet spot around. Oh, I, I wonder what this is, and and I want to understand how this can help me bring better practices to my organization. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, w- one thing I know we want to talk about. I'll maybe I'll start with the positive, and maybe Juan, you want to do sort of the flip side of this, is like. <laughs> What is a data contract? What is not a data contract? I'll start with the what is a data contract, which is um, you know one of the things that Juan and I talk about is we have this framework we call the uh, data product ABCs. and it's like accountability, boundaries, and letter C happens to be contracts. But we always say contracts and expectations. Because we're like, well, sometimes it's more of a contract. Sometimes it's more just an expectation. Is that a contract? Eh, I don't know. This is where words get hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious about like what. Maybe let's start with like what is a data contract, and then I'll let Juan kind of drive. It, the other side I'd go. love to cut, like. Mm-hmm.
1: I'd love to go through like some some examples of like what yeah. would a simple one look like, and then how would it get more complex or more expressive or something. Way.
2: Like... Yeah, that's a good question. I think. Um, of simple i think a contract is anything that describes the data and that sets expectations around the data and that has kind of basic metadata the data so the owner and things like that that's kind of a contract so hold on let
1: me let me stop. let me just pause there for a second so a, by that definition a schema describes the data so mm-hmm. is a schema a contract
2: does it no i wouldn't say it is on its own because it doesn't set any expectations around the data it doesn't give the owner to the data it doesn't set any responsibilities for the data it's just describing what data looks like, but it's not doing anything to prevent that from changing. It's not its not doing anything else. Like, hold say, if,
1: I, if, I, if I look at like a SQL DDL that says, yeah. Yeah, it has to have these data types and have these constraints, it is telling me that what I'm expecting and only and, and the database uh, constraints will make sure that, all, that it will have its integrity, so.
2: Yeah, but I could drop that tomorrow, right? And, and it's yeah. gone. I can alter columns and although it's got constraints I can move the constraints, mm. like there's nothing somebody doing that. There's nothing helping with change management there. Um this, this, I, this, this is
1: this is a very simple example. Uh, but I, there's these small nuances that I that you just said right there, which is really important, right? It's like, yeah, schema, but I can then change the schema tomorrow. So what, right? Or yeah, that seems to be in, the litmus in, test. test here. So so, yeah. so, so as, as in that essence, then a schema is part of a data contract
2: mm. yeah yeah it has to be part of it you have to know how to consume that data how to query that data so you need to have some sort of schema um, and schema is basically the it's kind of a foundational date quality check like at least i know what's in there and the types of them and i have a date contract i know they're not going to change it's going to be breaking change overnight that's part of the date contract um so schema is kind of a, for, yeah a schema with some change management around it, some expectations around it. That's probably all you need for a date contract. Um, we, of, what, do you argue,
1: what do you argue that are like the minimal uh, change management or expectations that should be associated to it?
2: I, well, I shouldn't expect it to have a break and change without some kind of migration. That'd be a minimum. That um, migration could be, I'm changing it tomorrow, update updated code tonight or it's going to break. <laughs> or it could be something a bit more a bit nicer, probably a bit a bit more um a bit more process around it saying I'm going to break this schema for these reasons. There's a new schema I'm publishing alongside you've got three months to move over to it. Again, like imagine you're consuming from an API. Say you're building on top of a Slack API, for example. People build businesses on top of Slack APIs. And Slack, like, we're not going to change the API overnight and break those businesses. That's bad for them. It's bad for their customers. Um they might change the API in future. They've got a version associated with it. Um and that gives some sort of migration path and migration to it. Um, any kind of interface is the same. So if depending on Pandas or some other Python library or some other library, same sort of thing. You've got a a version, um, a migration path when it changes, my major version, things like that. So actually probably version is something you need to have in a date contract and then simple date contract. It's probably one I missed earlier, but probably version is a critical part.
0: Yeah, that that so that word really jumped out at me. And as you started to talk about like change and migration and some expectations around how fast things change, uh, having a path to not have something break you, um, versioning very much came to mind. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like you kind of ended that statement there with versioning ends up being a pretty important part to a data contract, because I'm assuming that. Uh, there might be some best practices here, like maybe a, a major version increment means a breaking change or something like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is all stuff that people in software engineering have been doing for a long time and that we also do in data engineering for building libraries and things like that. You know, you've got semantic versioning, you've got major versions, minor versions. Um you've got public interfaces, you've got private interfaces you can build on, private methods. If you do that, it's not going to work very well. You know, there's no guarantee it's going to work. Build on public interface, more guarantees, more expectations it's going to work. It's not going to break overnight. If it does, it'll be a major version of my path. It's all the same sort of thing really. It's all it's all best practices. Whenever you're building on anything, you have an interface you build on. Uh, if if you want to be reliable, you have an interface to build on. Um we haven't been doing that with data for for a long time, forever maybe. We have been building on top of people's internal databases, a private interface basically, a non-central API, um, and that I feel was the root cause of most of our data quality problems. And that's kind of what I wanted to fix with data contracts.
1: So, so getting into what are a lot of we've gotten to a lot of what what are they? We can I want to unpack this more and get into more details, but let's call BS on some stuff. What are what are what are you seeing out there that are, are being called a data contract, but you would say, uh, uh red flag calling BS on that. What would that what, what would that be?
2: So, I think, um, I mean, some places where people are using term date contracts and not going as far as I would like them to go is where they are, they're not shifting left. They're just, it's just kind of schemas or it's just kind of helping them define that quality checks. I mean, they're kind of good things to do. But they're not shifting things to that. they're not really improving quality of data. They are they're making it easier to to do checks or observability to things like that. But it's not solving for me, it's, that's not solving the root problem. That's not solving the problem. I want to solve day contracts, it's not doing anything to shift left, it's not doing anything to improve quality of data. Um, so that's one thing I think people some people are doing that um, I'm less keen on and less call it a day contract. Um Another thing would be where um, people are like, they are, they cannot not ownership, they're not kind of shifting out once they left. So yeah, basically, those, yeah, those kind of things I think are not really a day contract, but Or where it's just kind of like a schema, basically, and just a schema and just a bit of schema management, that's not a day contract. If it's just a schema, you haven't got anything else in there, you've got, nothing, you've got no version in, nothing to change it, that's not a day contract either. So,
1: so then I, it seems like if, if we go to the spectrum of going, like you're in the right and you go to the left, there's the, the data teams, the data engineering teams are more on the right. And then the, the, the software teams, the ones who are actually creating the software where the data is actually the original source of where the data is coming in, right? Those are the further to the left. So does that mean that data, who takes responsibility data contracts? Is it now the software engineering teams or is it the data engineering teams? Or like, because if, if you're really truly shifting to the left, the data teams are not. data teams are not really part of it. It should be the software engineering team.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's why I feel. I think only the software engineering teams can affect the, the data they're producing. Like what we can do downstream, data engineering, we can work around it. We can try and infer missing data, um, but we can't really improve quality data. Like, say we need data to be more timely. We can't make it more timely downstream. We're bound by what's generated. Say we need a certain field to be populated and it wasn't captured upstream. We can't populate it downstream. We can infer it, but that's only going to get so far. If we want to improve data quality, it has to be done by those generating data. Um, I don't think data consumers, people in, sort of in data world, they're not, they're still part of it. They are there to provide requirements. They are there to provide incentives like why do they need quality data what they're going to do with it that's going to be a value for business that's still important that needs to be done um but if they are look at the other way if they are defining a contract and saying hey software engineers meet my contract what software engineer is going to be incentivized to do that and why why would they um and how would you get them to do that answer your own question (laughs) Well, you just wouldn't. Like, there is this concept in software engineering about consumer-driven contracts where, as a consumer, you provide a contract, and the software engineer has to meet it. It's, it's not niche, but it's not that well-adopted. Um, it's something that you might do in the microservice architecture to help with testing and things like that. But you never start there. Right? You always start with APIs and producers' own APIs, and they, um, they provide APIs to the rest of the business. Um, that's just the easiest thing to do. It's a simple thing to do. And it's the same, I think it's the same for data. I can't see why it should be much different. Like why should they just why are we not generating data with any discipline? Why are we just sucking it out from databases? and thinking we can build them out reliably. Um, and maybe the argument was like we didn't need it reliably, we're just generating dashboards and stuff like that. And maybe that was a fair argument, I'm not sure it was, because we still spent a lot of money building our dashboards and therefore I think we could do it cheaper if we had put a bit more effort up front. But even if we say that was a fair argument, it's not a fair argument when that data's been fed back into product teams, fed back into ML models, that then drive product features, and drive revenue, it's no longer okay, I think, that you just do that with little discipline or no discipline at the start. You have to have it right way right through, like software, or it's not gonna go not gonna go very well. Yeah.
0: Otherwise you're just depending on the humans to hopefully do the right stuff and your systems hopefully not to fail, right? And uh this yeah, we all know systems
2: fail, right? Systems always mm-hmm. fail. Humans do all want to do the right things. So when you speak to software engineers and explain to them problems and say, hey, I've been building off this stream from your database. And when you change the database, it breaks that thing. They're like, well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I need to change my database for, for reasons, for performance reasons, for new features. I need to change my database. I want to develop autonomy. Um, you're like, OK, that's fine. Can you provide me some sub- other interface? They're like, yeah, I can see why that's helpful. Same like APIs. Mm-hmm. So it's not that hard to sell to them. Um, and then it just becomes about incentives and prioritization and things like that, which is the same as, and as any other prioritization argument. Um, but I think for some reason, we have always, or many organizations, we just don't feel like we can talk to the software engineering team. There's no communication between those consuming data and those generating data. There's so many layers in between, so many different teams in between. Um, we just never challenged that assumption that we could ask for better data. Um, okay. And that's what I did, really, with data contracts. And I tried to challenge that assumption, and it went pretty well, easier than I thought it would go. And then I started building around some interface around that and data contracts, and it's kind of gone from there, really. Um, and, yeah, I think it's what you need to do if you want to depend on data.
0: Yeah. And just going back one more time to, you know, what are not data contracts, you talked about... Uh, You know, it it needs to, uh, it it needs to improve the data quality. It needs to help with the shift left to be a data contract. One topic that I think is interesting that has some intersection with data contracts, but I suspect is not data contracts itself, right? Is uh, data testing, right? So you have, you know, you, maybe you're using things like Soda or Grid Expectations, maybe you're using other types of tool sets, right? Where you're saying like, I've got various assertions about how what I expect the data and, and these tests need to pass or fail. Um, and, and, you know, is that is that a data contract? Is that part of a data contract?
2: I think it can be part of it. I think you can have checks in a data contract um, and they can run um, early before it's published. So you can localize the problem. It can be alert sent to the data generators um i think you still need checks downstream as well because you're never going to well you're never going to um predict all the possible ways that it might fail like game software things are always going to go, go wrong um you might have a field that you have date contract round, and you think it's always going to be between zero and one but you never really check for it and one day it's 100 and you know like, oh, i don't know why that is but um that's gonna cause things to break. So things like checks, things like observability, they're still important, but they shouldn't be the first um first place, you know, the first attempt to try and catch the data quality issues. The checks should be, they can be part of their contract. And what I've seen people do is have checks in their contract and then generate libraries or generate um maybe like an open API version of a contract and use API libraries, generate those kind of libraries that a software engineers can then use to publish your data, but also runs those checks. And if those checks fail, the software engineers get alert, and they can fix it before the data leaves their software, their service. Um, so you're reducing the impact of any failure. It's not gone into your all your ETL, all your dashboards. You know, you haven't noticed yet. It's very localized. And that, again, there's any software engineer who will sell you the cheapest place to catch issues is as early as possible so if you didn't catch it in your CI checks if you didn't catch it in um integration tests you might as well try and catch it in your service before it goes to all the other services again like software engineers have worked this out why i don't understand i would challenge the assumption about data is in any way significantly different to how software engineers have been doing this
0: yeah, it seems like the software engineering analogy goes pretty far here because even even in software engineering, when you have certain dependability or assertions that are coming from you know something to the left of you, right, um, mm-hmm. you're you're the smart engineering thing to do, uh, right? So there's an assumption here, but the smart engineering thing to do is that you're still going to have some validation and some confirmation in your service to be sure that 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 contract is being complying with before you go and you know break a bunch of stuff downstream.
2: Yeah, exactly. If I say like you never trust your inputs, so you always have to design with like, far your own mind. Um, but but like how far you go with this depends on how important the data is, how important what you're building on the data is. Like I'm not saying you should um, go this far with every data set. With um, like, Google always checks in, or day contracts in, all visibility in. Like that's cost tool of doing all of this, costing time, costing money. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's important, it's worth doing all of that. If it's driving revenue, if it's a key part of your product feature set, then it's worth doing all of that. If it's less important, maybe do some of that. If it's so unimportant, you're doing none of that, it's probably not even worth generating data.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So one other thing that comes to mind here, Andrew, is um, you know, a, going back to APIs, right? APIs often have swagger documentation and uh sdks and things like that there are there's sort of things that tend to wrap around apis right mm-hmm. um where where do ap where, where does where do data contracts go where do they live and is there stuff that's supposed to wrap around them
2: yes i think data contracts should live in a similar place to like the apis and things like that as well so if you're asking software engineers to create data contracts they need to be able to create them where they most expect them to be. So if they are creating their APIs in maybe my Git repo, their own Git repo along to service, service, or they create the infrastructure there, or if they come from where they're working, they should be able to create date contracts in that same area. If they ask them to go and create a date contract in a web UI somewhere else or some sort of different system, it's a harder sell. It's a, You're adding quite a lot of friction there. Uh, you're separating with code, which data, to where the data has been defined, and one of those is going for. That, I think probably, if it, or almost definitely, where it's been defined. If it's, you know, if it's somewhere else. So I think it needs to be, if you're targeting with data generators as the people you want to own and be responsible for date contract, then they need to be able to define the contract where they are working.
1: So, so, but how? How? It's an agreement. Right, the data contract is an agreement. So, um, you know, the point I want to make here is that it's not just the software engineer who's mm-hmm. doing it. There's other people involved. And so I'm kind of because again, the people process technology, right? So I guess the technology, the contract itself is going to be some sort of code that lives inside of GitHub, right? I'm trying to get very specific here. It, so, but there's other people who need to go look at it and, and like, yeah, that's exactly what I. Yeah, you understood that correctly. Good, right? Let's this is, like let's go to these checks. Like, are we expecting now the people who are not who don't use GitHub to get into GitHub? Like, how would all that agreement actually occur, and, and where would that happen?
2: Yes, I think for the most part, the agreement happens before it's been defined in code and before it's running GitHub. So, yeah, you are. You, say you're creating a new, a new service, and that's going to generate some data. Um, and you talk to, you're, you know that it's going to be important for some reporting reasons. Um, so maybe you talk to your BI team and say, hey, I'm, you need to do some reporting around this. We're generating data. What kind of things do you need to generate reporting that you've been asked to, to create? Have a conversation around that. Um, maybe some sort of comments document, however you want to do that. And then the code bit is kind of the last bit. It's kind of like we've agreed on this and now we're implementing it. Um, and then we can evolve it over time. If, if we get things wrong or if we miss something, we can evolve over time. It's not a set in stone. I just say evolution is, is managed. Um, so I think a lot of that happens before it's in code. But once it's in code, you're right. People need to be able to find it, discover it. So I think it doesn't just live in GitHub, but that's kind of the source of truth, that's where it is defined. But from there, you can very easily move it to other places. So what I've done in the past is convert my data contract into an open API version of the data contract, and then use that to publish to a data catalog. Um We use something called Backstage from Spotify. Um, it's, it's a catalog that's got APIs in it. It's got our services in it, and that has got our data in it as well. So it's all kind of in one place. Um, but you can convert it to any kind of format. You can go any kind of format you like. So we convert it also to Protopath, for example, and configure um, topics and things like that. Um, you could do the same for Kafka. So you can always convert your date contract into any format and ingest it into a date catalog, into LookML, into whatever you like, really. Because um, it's, it's machine readable as well as human readable. So, And it's not that hard to do that. You know, It's an afternoon to convert it into an API spec, or a couple of days to try and convert it to LookML, which are things yeah. we've done um so yeah it's great way to kind of provide that metadata to other services
0: that makes sense so it sounds like in general there's sort of the source of truth around the data contract itself which is going to be you know ideally code because it's it's embedded in with what you've developed for your data pipeline or for your data services or whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. But then if you're trying to create discoverability around it, then someplace like a catalog or whatever other means that you're using to create discoverability around data and analytic artifacts and things like that can, can make a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. You don't want to end up in place where data is siloed. Like you might, uh, Maybe you do, particularly if you're going, if you're thinking about data mesh in the future. You probably do want to start moving towards a more decentralized model for this data, where it's owned by different people, and that's fine. But then you need to make sure, yeah, it's not siloed. It's, it might be decentralized, it might be isolated, but it's not siloed. You can still discover it. You still know how to query it. You can still join it. Um, and that's an scenario where we are, we're very lucky again, because we've got great data warehouses where you can you can isolate things by. So I'm often with BigQuery, so isolate things in data sets and GCP projects and things like that. But can still create across them with no cost at all. Um, so you can isolate for ownership, isolate for responsibility, but without costing, without siloing data, without any cost of moving that data again to make it available to other people. Um, you can do the same in streaming things like Kafka and PubSub and things like that. So we're very lucky to have this tooling that allows us to do that, and we can use data contracts kind of implement those ownership and and allow envelope discoverability by interfacing other systems um implement government thing government uh, governance and data governance all that sort of stuff can be implemented update contract once you have some metadata describes data that's really becomes quite easy really to build on top of that and do quite interesting things with that data
0: interesting and you know all of this discussion kind of you know around code and things like that makes me think that um, although there's some best practices here, uh, it can, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And I'm sure that there's a lot of companies that have implemented some data contract approaches that have had to kind of invent this for themselves. And I I know some of the stuff that you've been working on is to help people kind of navigate some of this, Uh, but then there's also like vendors now that are starting to say like, oh, we're a, you know, data contracts platform or a toolkit or something like that. Um, you know, can like, can you tell us a little bit about like what is what is the vendor landscape around data contracts? Like, what, what, like, why, why might you want to use a tool? And is that useful? Like, is this kind of like, or is this a little more experimental? Like, let's see where this goes, right?
2: Yeah, I think, I think we're still kind of early, really, in kind of like, you know, data contracts journey, and we're kind of thinking like, we should, not everyone needs to be building their own infrastructure for for date contracts, I think so I think it's good that people are looking at how they can solve this problem more generally for other people. Um, so I'm excited to see how what they're building and how they you know, how successful they are. Um, also I also think it's interesting how a lot there are, f- are some people who are thinking about creating a date contract standard and some vendors in that about how they can use date contracts to help. Um, it's like an interchange format for data, so you can like I was giving an example earlier, where we could grow a date contract into something, but then a, a, a catalog could ingest and make it available, or somebody could ingest and start doing um, an OB-checks on it, and things like that. So that's quite interesting. I think, though, with some of the new vendors who are building date contracts tooling, the question I would ask is, like, who are they expecting to use this tooling? Like, Is it the date generators again? Is it people, Are we shifting there to the software engineers? Or is it aimed at with data engineers and with data, data people, um, and if it's aimed at with data people, how successful it would it be in actually changing the organization, not changing the culture of the organization, to one where you are you have shifted that responsibility left and you have, you are applying discipline to data that's been generated? Um, so we just so, see how that evolves, really.
1: So, so okay. I, I mean, let's get very honest, no BS around some of these things, mm-hmm. right? So, like, we talk about the solutions around here and how co- how complicated or easy or not complicated should these solutions be, right? We were talking about this before is, like, first of all, like, the contract itself needs to be defined and live somewhere like it's a piece of code mm-hmm. whatever right and we can talk like is there a standard for that right all the way from a syntax or whatever right is this is in yaml json whatever okay it, it exists and it's living in github or whatever okay mm-hmm. now i need to use that contract and execute it somewhere right have a have a, a and i think you, you described this before, having an interface to drive that data through it right and that interface what you're arguing is it should be shift left and it should be if it's truly a data contract it should be something that the software engineering should be do and then this should be like if it could be in a kafka topic pub subs, right i mean if you if, if you do it as a table in a data warehouse then you're not shifting left enough so how complicated is this like like you're, you're saying that like, we should go generalize, generalize these infrastructures but are we just generalizing something that's kind of pretty simple that There's not much generalization to do, or is that if we do that generalization, that's something that should be more on the software engineering stack versus more, we're seeing vendors and tools putting things in the data stack, but I'm like, if you're doing the data stack, your point is like, that's not left enough, so it's not really a data contract. So it's like, (laughs) anyways, I'll stop (laughs) ranting.
2: Uh, yeah, so maybe I'm making it sound more complicated than it should be because I think it's quite simple to be this tooling. So, first time we did this, um, I did this, we, we did a spike in like a sort of MPV MVP in that couple of weeks. Um, in my book, there's one chapter on, on implementing a simple date contract, building a big table, and putting it in schema registry, I think, as well. And it's 15 pages, one chapter, just one chapter on that. Um, Usually open source and tooling to build on top of. So it's not that complicated. The way I like to build it and in those examples, I built it on top of these um sort of infrastructure as code platforms. Uh, so there's one called Plumy I use my book as I source one. Um at the company I work at, we had an in-house one, so we built it on top of that. So you shouldn't build it all from scratch. Um but it's not yeah, it's not that hard. A YAML file, so a bit of Python code. Um that then builds interfaces, um, and then you've got a contract. Really, and got, you can write to that, and then you can take it as far as you like. You can build software libraries, make it easy to publish. You can integrate that catalog. You know, there's all things you do. Do data governance and organization, and privacy and stuff like that. There's all things you can do on top of that. But the simplest thing, yeah, like I said, there's a. Yeah, it's one chapter in my book, fifteen pages, and it walks you through that yeah. contract. I've I've already minimal viable data contract platform.
1: All right. I'm, I'm always looking for, to you know, we're always looking for, for quotes in uh for a, a, a t-shirt <laughs> quote. I think it's like data, con- like, I don't know, this is probably a long quote, but something like <laughs> data contract implementation. It's a 15 page chapter in my book. <laughs>
2: <Easy gift. laughs> yeah, I'll get that printed. <laughs>
1: what do you, Would do you get that t-shirt? If I'm printed it, what do you want that t-shirt?
2: For <laughs> sure, definitely.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, honest no BS. I mean, this is the type of stuff that we gotta go talk about. you like, gotta be honest no BS about these things. And, and well and and it's
0: like... easy to overcomplicate stuff, right?
2: Yeah, I think it I think the tooling is easy. For tech's all there, we've got great we got great tech in Monday so we've got great tech. Um the harder part is how you incentivize software engineers, how you get things prioritized, how you how you actually do with shifting left, how you assign responsibility. That's all the harder part. And that's where I spent most of my time over the last few years. Um, talking to all those different people, um, explaining to them the problems we're having, why we need data to be better because we're using it to build things that drive revenue, that are aligned with our company goals, all that sort of thing. And it's not, it's not hard, particularly it takes effort. It's something that a lot of data people, I think we don't do very often um but we can do it and once you get that buy-in you can get it you can get it prioritized you can get you can get yourself in the work so
1: let, let, let me get into one you just said if we get buy-in so let's talk about the buy-in the people the incentives
2: all right go <laughs> yeah so all of this has come assuming that data is important to your organization or that you want to use data for something important and that's probably what many organisations are. There's probably something in your in your goals, in your vision, in your in some in organisation goals, but business goals that says, "We'll right, deploy an ML model that does this and drives this product feature, or we'll use data to to drive some product feature." Or maybe your software engineering teams are using data as well, and they're just moving data between themselves, maybe to improve how they build customers, or integrate with Salesforce better so they can do growth better. Most thing, or I say most, maybe everything, like data is, data is being moved around all the time to try and meet business goals, right? Um, but if business goals are important enough, um, then it shouldn't be that hard to get some effort prioritized upstream in uh, the software engineering team who generated data to say, can you generate it, generate a bit better quality data, because that will save us loads of time downstream. Or can you generate it a bit better quality data, a bit more reliable data, so we can depend on it, so it can build this important feature that cannot go down every week, like our VR dashboard does at the moment. <laughs> um, so yeah, and if, it, if you're an organization that doesn't value data, probably trying to pull that contract isn't going to be mm-hmm. successful. Probably you're not... Um, yeah, you probably don't want to invest too much. are probably not investing too much in data in general. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking you might it might be the best job for you. <laughs> um, but many organisations are not like that. They are investing a lot in data. We spend a lot of money on data. We spend a lot of money on data warehouses. We spend a lot of money on data tooling. We spend a lot of money on data teams and BI people, and data engineers, and analytics engineers, and all different layers we've got. So doing that a bit better, a bit cheaper, should get prioritised.
1: Now, it goes back to uh, just, this is uh, show me the money, right? Let's go figure out, <laughs> I'm going to go invest in this if you tell me that if the investment of this is going to give me a, a larger return than that investment. So,
2: exactly. They, it kind of it
1: sounds obvious, but it's just very typical that people uh, forget about it. And they just get so excited about the tech. And all right, so.
2: Yeah, I do too. I'm a, I'm a techie, I'm an engineer. I, I could talk a lot about tech, but really, I spend most of my time um, not doing tech. It's mostly around, I guess it happens to everyone. I think when you get more senior, you, you tend to move away from the tech and the code and make the code look great and efficient. And you start moving up and up and up, and you start, and then you realize it's all about what value are we delivering as a team? And how do we show that? How do we use that to get more investment, to prioritize our things? Um, so that's the journey I've been on over the last few years through tech contracts, really. Um, and yeah something that everyone has to kind of get to at some point, if you want to change your organization to try and do things better.
0: Um, Tim, any, any final words you want to, I think maybe just one last question here, which is, you know, who do you think in the organization, you know, just think about any sort of an enterprise here, their data team, their engineering team, right? Who in the organization is the best is going to be the best advocate for, data contracts? Is it going to be on the engineering side? Is it going to be on the analytics side? Is it a governance person? Who's in the best position to be evangelizing and pushing for this?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, what, what I think I did really well at the start was I had this idea about data contracts. And I did show it to data people. And obviously, they loved it. Like, yeah, we want better data. Sounds great. Go with that. But also, before any code we've written, before, right before that, I t- spoke to a lot of our engineering teams um, and, again, got my buy-in and got them involved in the solution design and made them feel become owners of this this program of change I wanted to try and achieve. Um, so really got them on board. And I think they end up becoming the best advocates because they understand um, the problems. And they are software engineers talking to software engineers, not a data team talking to the product team saying, hey, we all need better. But they're actually within their and they understand the problems. And they understand why it's important. And they are there when data people are not in the room evangelizing for this thing. But even better, they might be depending on data themselves. I might they might feel the same sort of pain. Because actually, software engineering teams also depend on data from other software engineering teams. And sometimes, that isn't of great quality. And that causes problems. Um, so I think, yeah, they are good evangelizers. Um, at some point, you probably need to get Leadership porting as well. If you're going to try and do a big program of change where you maybe are starting to think about changing existing data, which obviously there's an investment in that, or if you're trying to think about changing your org and maybe moving people around and really start going towards data mesh and things like that, that's probably further down the line. Um, but yeah, at the start, just getting software engineers involved. If everyone's you want to, to do the work to find their contracts, they need to be brought into it. So, so you're saying,
1: the champions who, sh- who should be evangelizing data's contracts should be the software engineering team.
2: The ideal ones would be. Ideal. Yeah, yeah, ideal. I don't that,
1: I mean, we're talking about the ideal ones here. And actually, you said another really great point here is that the software teams also consume data from some other software teams. So it's like it's just within the software world right there. And that's ideally. Um, yeah. And we see is-
2: that, like, we've seen that some of the great success we've had is like we've had things organically move to that contract. It wasn't that contract for moved to it because another software engineering team needed that data, from and they wanted it to be reliable, because they were going to do something else with it. And it wasn't data science. It wasn't fancy AI and ML. It wasn't uh, dashboards. It was just like, we're moving data between these services, and we need to move it in batch. And we're using the data platform tooling to do that, because it's most suitable for this particular use case. And actually, we want it schemered, and we want SLOs around it, because what we're building on is important. how you take contracts
1: this was a very i actually was not expecting this answer <laughs> i was expecting somebody like on the data time data side or whatever and and i have to say this is a refreshing answer because i think um i sometimes feel that the, the, i mean the whole point that i'm realizing that my main core my main takeaway from our discussion today is that data contracts is really more from the, is more about the software teams and not just the data teams, which I would actually say that we need to kind of change the name, call it the, the software data contract or something like that, the software data agreement. I, mean, I think that I think it would be a more appropriate title or label description here because it's really, that's what a truly shift left one. If you mm-hmm. because I think what, what I'm seeing kind of just talking to people and, and all the blah, blah, blah you hear and they take data contracts, everybody I talk to who are talking about data contracts Nobody of none, they're none of them are software engineer folks. And they're not even talking to the software engineering folks, right? And then just yeah. because it has the word data contract, then it ends up being more of the on the, con, the consumer side, right? It's yeah. really the the things that you would that you have argued that are not really data contracts.
0: There's a lot of people talking about data contracts who are like the the BI dashboards want the data warehouse to provide some more reliability or something like that, right?
2: yeah and to be fair that's like okay. like data people produce data too and they should have a contract mm-hmm. around that so that's not it's not it's not bad it's it's good but it's only you're still quite far downstream it's like, yeah is it yeah you're still you're you're still you can't make data better at that late stage right, um, you can only make it not worse <laughs> I'm not
1: right enemies here uh, I'm no i don't like
2: him i <laughs> yeah so i guess like these are my opinions and people have different opinions and people and yeah. if people are doing things if think if people think the best thing they can do is not have their journey but a level or two behind that and they think that's as far as we can get um and they want to prove that that's that's good that's still better than we've got now i i'm either ambitious or optimistic probably optimistic but i think we can go further and i have done that <laughs> um and I don't see what would prevent other people I, from doing I,
1: that. I, I applaud you, Andrew, for really pushing, pushing the barrier and, and showing, to, and showing the community that you that we can do more and we should strive for excellence.
2: So yeah, I think only because what we're doing now is so important, like it's driving revenue. It's, it's
1: and exactly that, that Drive style. revenue. Yes, show me the money as I
2: always say. Lately. Exactly, and if it's not that important, then. Don't go that far. Go maybe go to those levels that a lot of people are thinking of going to. Um to at least make things better for yourself. Um but most organisations are going that far. They are trying to drive revenue from their data. Um so then it's worth doing it doing it better. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim and I are back channeling here. Tim, just close us out with your comment there.
0: Yeah. My my back channel comment to Juan here was uh, common sense, yet a lot of people don't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: Andrew, I told you we could keep coming. I I got a bunch of stuff I want to keep chatting about. Looking forward to our next conversation in London, hopefully, and uh, having some beers. Uh, Hopefully, your homebrew beers. Love to do that. But All right. uh, Next, our AI Minute. You got one minute to... uh, Rant, whatever you want about AI,
2: go. <laughs> so I thought I do something slightly different and it, it's not so much a rant, but it's more like, um, again, a bit like what I did earlier, more appreciation. Like, so I remember the internet coming along and playing Counter-Strike and dial up and things like that, but I didn't really appreciate it. I was too young. I remember the App Store coming along and the iPhones and I wasn't really in position to take advantage, but seeing all the things we're doing with AI and the amount of change that could happen from it good or bad and being in a position where i understand what's going on and i'm very close to it yeah i'm not a data scientist but i understand roughly what's going on it's a pretty unique opportunity really just to be part of that um so i think maybe yeah stepping back and just realizing that like we're lucky to be part of this big change no matter how it turns out it's a nice thought
1: but- 1,000% of it, this is what I tell everybody. Like we are in 1992 when the web came out. Yeah, right? exactly. This is, this is, Chat- like, GPT is, so is like
0: AOL, right? It's yeah. like, there's so much more to
2: come here. And this is what,
1: yeah. I have my iPhone here with me. This is version 15, right? This has evolved a lot. So like this stuff is gonna evolve.
2: Yeah, and we don't really think we iPhone We take it for granted now, but what we take, what would be, yeah, 15 years from now, what will ML be doing for us? Yes, and I opportunity to be it's amazing to be part of it in a way.
1: All right, we got our lightning round questions. So I'm gonna kick it off. Uh number one. Is the discipline of thinking about data contracts and expectations more important than the data contracts themselves?
2: Yes. All right.
0: All right. Second question. Are the data are data contracts a mandatory or a required part of data mesh?
2: Uh, yes, they are. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, are data contracts more valuable for tech companies where a lot of the upstream data is software engineering generated?
2: Yes, probably. Um, it's quite hard, actually, to take contracts when you don't control the generation of data. I'm not saying I haven't worked out yet because um, you can't shift it back far left. So, yes. Uh,
1: okay, so here's an interesting point. So if if you... if if if, if, if the data contracts do live in the in the true data engineering world if you have no control of, I mean, you shift off less of pos, as left as possible. It's like, well, I just got my data from Salesforce. I, I can't do any, I can't do that. So.
2: Yeah, you're not gonna make Salesforce give you better quality data. Um, you, you're a small, you're, you're not got that inference over them. Um, but what you can do is you might have Salesforce admin and they might be creating custom objects and they can own the data contract. So that's, that's as left as you can go. At least they can, they start setting expectations around data um but you obviously can't put code in salesforce so you have to think about a different solution uh that's something i have haven't yet really worked out a solution for but it's probably that's probably where like a lot of the stuff people are building is probably good for both kind of things
0: that's great go as far left as you can go all right final uh, question here think about like the maturity of a company and their data stack and their data strategy are data contracts something that organizations should leverage from the start? Or is it really more of an advanced thing?
2: Yeah, I guess was, was this quite a lot, actually. Because um, I, I was kind of like three years into building a data platform at a company. And then I said, I can now do data contracts and um, try, to change it, try, you know, try to change direction a bit. Um, and if I go back in time, I was, was on it from day one. I think it's a lot easier to do it at the start. Migrating data to date contracts is a huge effort. Um, yeah, it's very difficult. But not just that, but just the way you build data platforms—they are much more effective when you're building on uh, date contracts using a date contract back data platform, is what I call it. And you can do a lot of things that are much easier, like governance, like. Um, um, even like simple things like backup and something like that, you can build all those types of features of data contracts as well. We didn't get time to talk about those things, but um, you can build a whole data platform around the idea of data contracts. And um, also from the start, get people, set your culture as one that, your data culture as one that says the data is owned by the data generators. Um, and yeah, the culture is probably the hardest thing to change when you're three, six, 10 years into a company. Yeah, ten years old company. It's a lot harder to change data, change a culture in any way. Um, so yeah, do it as early as possible. I'd say. As soon as your data becomes important, as soon as you start using data for something fairly important, you probably want to start put data control around it.
0: That's a great recommendation and takeaway here, because I think that, you know, for a lot of folks. They may already be on their journey now. And so now it is much more of a change management and a technology change issue. But for those lucky few listeners out there that are getting to start new or or building a separate (laughs) stack or something like that, think about how you can leverage data contracts or the discipline of it sooner. You're going to be happier from a governance standpoint, from a usability standpoint, and much, much more. Oh my goodness. All <laughs> this right, episode, Tim. We've got, we've got some takeaways, All right. huh?
1: All right, Tim, take us away with your takeaways.
0: All right. So we started with what an honest no BS, what is a data contract? And you said that it's an agreement between those who produce data and those who consume it. Uh, it could be SLOs, SLAs, owners, etc. The key is the management of the responsibilities around it, which allows you to have dependability and understanding and shifting responsibility to the left. So kind of the thinking of a river of data, a river of uh, information, right? It's coming from the left, it's flowing to the right, right? You want to shift to the left. And what does it mean to shift responsibility to the left? Well, this is the whole reason for data contracts. You said the problem of we're bringing in all this data from all these different systems, something breaks, we have to fix it, right? We need to have some way to have reliability, predictability guarantees around these things. Or else we get to be that you know that uh, age-old problem of data quality, which is the data engineer getting woke up at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning because they have to go fix the data pipeline. Right? Like, no, we don't want to live in that world. We don't want to live in the world where that dashboard goes to the board and and uh, and it's the wrong answer. Right? So uh, I think what's interesting here is the software engineering practices that you recommend. Really, a lot of this inspiration comes from software engineering, where you have. You know, these guarantees around the information that's being passed through the API, around the information that's coming through the database, usually you don't build your services directly talking to the database. You have a service that sits in front of it that interacts with it, and it provides these kinds of guarantees around user experience, around ownership, around responsibility. Um, we need to bring that to the world of data, and that's what those data contracts are trying to do and what are data contracts uh, well it's anything that describes the data and sets expectations around the data and i think we had some interesting explorations around like what is and isn't a data contract because like schema for example you know might have some assertions about like this is a string and you know certain ways that you can access that data but if there's never any expectations set then you're not really creating a data contract around it it's part it's like part of a data contract but you haven't gone the full way so I thought that was super interesting. Uh, Juan, I'll pass it to you. What about your takeaways?
1: Yeah, well, then what are not data contracts where maybe it's being called of it, but it really isn't. So for your position is that it's just not going far enough, right, where it doesn't really result in a truly shifting left and you're not really effectively improving the data quality. So, for example, data testing can be parts of data contracts because you want to have checks to ensure that they're compliant with the data contracts, but just alone a data test isn't. Right, you should be catching them in integration checks and CI/CD checks, and then then you should be adding them there in case you, those didn't catch it. But and you can provide notifications; they can be localized. But at the end, the data testing by itself is not a data contract; it's part of it. And and really thinking about the shifting left, it's really pushing it down to the software engineering team. Right, for example, if you want more data to come in more timely. The data teams can't do that on their own. They really have to go push out to the software teams to go do that. The data teams will provide the requirements and we need to work out the incentives there. And I think one of the big issues here is the lack of communication between the different teams and so many layers in between that. Another aspect is, where do these contracts live, right? So if the software engineering teams are actually creating them, uh, creating these data contracts, it should exist in a place where they work in, right? So it's like GitHub and because if you ask them to do it somewhere else, they're not going to get that there. We also talked during the, the 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 during the lightning round questions that if you don't if you're not building yourself the software doing that, then you can push it as left as you can, which is like wherever that data is landing from your different sources. Um and then uh if you want these contracts to be discoverable, then this is where the this is where the data catalogs will come in because you can be able to define these data contracts and be able to go push them to data con- to data catalogs so they can be discoverable and, and other people can go use them or understand what's out there. Talking about vendors, yeah, it's very early still. But I mean, why create something brand new and bespoke? We have to leverage these tools, but just remind ourselves that this doesn't have to be too complicated. Go read the chapter in Andrew's book. It's just 15 pages long and describes an implementation of this. Um, incentives, how do we get people to adopt the data contracts? B- bottom line, just show me the money, right? Every organization has some, some kind of goal, right? They're trying to accomplish X, they're building Y, they're improving metric Z. If the business goal is important enough, then it shouldn't be hard to get folks upstream, typically this in this case the software teams, to agree to provide that higher quality data because it's more dependable data to serve that goal. And at the end, like who should be the who should be the champions, the evangelizers of the data contracts? Ideally, the software teams, right? Because, it, it, because they're the ones who are actually going to be implementing this stuff. And now of of course, from there you go to leadership. But
2: poof. How do we do? <laughs> that was great. Yeah, perfect. Anything we missed? No, I mean, there's always things to expand on, but we can talk about this for hours and hours.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, to wrap up, let's throw it back to you. Uh, Three final questions. What's your advice? Who should you invite next? And what resources do you follow?
2: Yeah, I think my advice is, kind of related to what you're speaking about, but just always try to remember why you're trying to do something. So we talk about, obviously, we talk about that contract. So, yeah, why are you trying to deploy them? What is your aim? What do you want to achieve? What is helping your organization achieve? Who else is needed to achieve it? What else needs to achieve it? Um, and then, like, if you need other people, in in my case, in our case, like, data uh, software engineers, just go and speak to them and and get them on board and explain to them why it's important. I'm, again, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm an optimist, <laughs> but I think, like, most people want the best outcome. Um, and if you get the right people in the room to talk about the problems, you'll get a best outcome. And those right people are data people, software people, of PMs, they go on to people. Those kind of people get me in the room, and you, you'll get a good outcome. Um,
1: so much. Uh, this is like kind of common sense, but again, as Tim was saying, we sometimes forget about it. So I appreciate you bringing these things yeah. up.
0: Well, we and think I think it's simple, simple, with, really, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep it simple. And I think with data contracts, sometimes people think that, like, oh, like the point of a data contract is so you don't have to p- talk to people or something like that, right? It's like, no, it's, you, it's so you do talk to people and then you and, and you know, so you bring each other together.
2: Yeah, you have to. It's always, it always comes down to people, people more than technology, always. People, uh, who should invite next? So, I think. Someone I've been on a couple panels with recently who talks really well about data contracts, date products, data mesh. Um, someone called Amy Vergada, who works for um, the Swiss Marketplace Group. She lives in Germany. But she's um she talks a lot really well about these kind of things. Um different opinions sometimes to me, which is obviously good. Um, but um yeah, I like where she talks about data products in particular, as well as data contracts, data mesh.
1: Cool. And then uh what uh resources do you follow i mean one you have a book right? <laughs> check <laughs> out the book we're, we're, we're the non-salesy podcast but all about uh education and, and it's books. book so yeah get your book for sure uh <laughs> yeah i
2: did i do i, do, I do a bit of everything really i do buy a lot of books i read some of them <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I like, I, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters, like email newsletters. Um, don't read them all, all the time, but like, you know, browse them. I uh, like to browse them. What I really like, though, is kind of the in person stuff now it's kind of back again. So I'm lucky I live close to London. So there's lots of meetups. They're really good. What I particularly like about them is you will know, get people at all different stages of their career able to talk and able to uh, have conversations with. Um, uh, so, yeah. I like those, in particular, local meetups, smaller meetups, as well as a big conference as well. So yeah, a bit of everything, really. Um, And podcasts as well, obviously. (laughs) Less so because I don't commute as much as I used to. But um, (laughs) but they're still great for, um, yeah, and more entertaining kind of version of events.
0: Podcasts are always fun. And and where can people find your book? Is it, like, on Amazon, or?
2: Yeah, it's everywhere you can get books Amazon. Via a subscription service, if you get that. Um, if you go to data contractscom you'll find the links to to everywhere you can get it. Um, so yeah, if you if you want to know more, or you want to implement it in a chapter, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it. You should check it out and do let me know what you think if you do happen to check it out.
0: data All
2: right. Andrew, this has been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We truly, truly appreciate it. We got some uh, really honest, no BS takes on this. So we got an Andrew (laughs) t-shirt coming up soon. We're going to do this, right, Tim, one (laughs) day.
0: We've got 156 or so uh, t-shirts we got to design here. All
2: right. Andrew, (laughs) cheers. Thank you so much for everything. Cheers. Thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Thank you.
0: Cheers, Andrew.